the regulator does not does not measure the fault rate because fault rate requires statistics. You cannot do this in a, in a uh, test track, so it's much more trickier to uh, to measure, and it leaves that to the car makers. So uh, and and it makes sense because the car maker does not want to introduce a crappy system. You know that every few minutes will do a false braking and will create an uncomfortable feeling to uh, to the driver. Actually, it's very scary. You're driving and all of a sudden the car breaks <laughs> autonomously. That sounds like any a reason. car that I drive. Heck, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so. Hello, and welcome to the Autonicast. As always, I'm Alex Roy, formerly of Argo AI, and now the founder of Geotegic Consulting. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm super excited to introduce our guest today, um, Mobileye founder, president, and CEO, Professor Amnon Shashua. Um, Professor Shashua, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Kirsten. Well, there's always a lot to talk to you about, and um, we've had some nice, inter- interesting conversations in the past, but I wanted to kick things off. Focusing on something that you introduced, um, I believe, at CES 2023, which is this, um, you made a presentation, but you also put out a blog post putting out this new idea about defining a new taxonomy for consumer autonomous vehicles. And um, I'll just give the cliff notes and then let you jump in. But basically, the idea here is that, that the current definitions we use are vague and unclear and from from a consumer end user perspective, and that it's difficult to dis, um, to distinguish between the SAE levels, particularly level three and four, and so that you put out these kind of four um, levels, which I'll let you get into. Um, is that the basic premise of of kind of what you presented? And maybe you could describe why you felt it was necessary for Mobileye to take a lead here. Well, you know, as you said, the, the SAE taxonomy is, is meant really for engineers. Uh, once uh, you start, you know, wrapping your mind around it from a, a consumer point of view, it's a bit it's a bit unclear, especially the level three, level four, and, and level two is, is too wide. It contains many, many things. And this is why you know, in, industry has invented level two plus because level two is, is you know, is too wide. So, so we, we came up with, with a much simpler way to describe what it means, uh, you know, the, the spectrum from driving assist to, to autonomous uh, driving. And we went through four axes. The first one is eyes on, eyes off. Are you alert or are, are you not alert? Second one is hands on or hands off. Are you driving or is the system driving for you? The third, is there a driver or, or not? You know, a robotaxi, there's no driver. In, in a consumer car, there is a driver. And fourth is the minimum risk maneuver. What happens when the car needs to, to stop? Should it stop in lane, which we believe is not safe, or, or should it stop safely on the shoulder of, a, of the road, which, which is the way we think it should be done? So then, and th- then you have the combination. So let's assume the driver is is in the car. So we have eyes on, eyes off, hands on, hands, hands off. So a an eyes on and hands on system is the driver driving the car and the system is supervising. So for example, if an imminent uh, you know, crash is, 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 about to, is about to happen, the system will, will apply emergency brakes or a, a, 
or if, if you are doing a, a lane keeping a lane keeping assist or, or lane departure warning, you are veering from the lane, then the system will give you an alert that you are veering from lane. So the system is supervising you, and and it's taking action in very rare moments in order not to interfere with your uh, with your driving. An eyes on hands off is the system driving, but the human is supervising it. Just like in an aircraft, you know, the, the, the pilots, uh, the two pilots in, in, in the plane, you know, are, are really taking control only in, in very sparse moments of, of, of the flight, you know, takeoff and, and landing. Most of the flight is being done by autopilot, but the humans, the, the pilots are, are, are supervising it. And, and, and it makes sense because the failure modes of the system and the human, you know, they, they complement each other. So uh, a, a human... Uh, you know, can can have a crash because of a lack of attention. You know, in, in you know, in a bright uh, day, no rains, no very, very good weather conditions. The road is mundane. You know, clearly marked, and the human driver simply, you know, was distracted or, or you know, spaced out, and 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 there is an accident. This is exactly where a system, a robotic system, will not fail. The robotic system may fail in a challenging situation. Uh, where a human would not fail because in a challenging situation, the human is, 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 is attentive. So that they kind of complement each other. And if you have a good driving monitoring system to make sure that the driver is, is, is attentive, then you can have a synergetic effect between the human and the system and create a much, much safer uh, experience. So this is eyes on, hands off. And then eyes off, hands off is what we think about autonomous uh, driving. The system is driving. The human is not supervising the system. So the human can legally do whatever he wants to do, even go to sleep behind the steering wheel, but, you know, go to, uh, go to sleep, read a book. And the system then has an ODD, an operational design uh, domain. For example, the system can be activated on highways and on off-ramps. Outside of, of highways, say arterial roads or, or local roads, urban roads, uh, the system is not activated. So when the system reaches the end of the, of, of, the, of, of the ODD, it will give a signal to the driver to take over. But if the driver does not take over, then the system does an MRM, minimum risk maneuver, and uh, stops safely on, on the side. It means the human driver need not be attentive. So it's not that you are relying on a human driver at some point to take control because you don't know what the human driver is doing. Uh, the system can handle uh, everything within the ODD, and once it reaches the, the, the edge of the ODD, it will stop safely on the shoulder of, uh, of the road. So it's very clear from, from a consumer perspective, if it's, if it's an eyes-off system, you're not responsible. Right? And if the system reaches the end of the ODD, it will, it will stop safely uh, on the side. And then just to finish this, and if there is a no driver, then there's a teleoperation. The teleoperation is not for safety-related issues. It's for non-safety. When the car is, is at a stop and, you know, a, a, a policeman approaches the car and needs to talk with someone, so if there's no one in the car, then there's a teleoperator that can talk or, 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 make, uh, or make decisions. Um, I know there's a lot to dig into here, and I know that Ed and Alex probably have lots of questions. But before we get into the specifics of what you just detailed, how long have you been thinking about the problems around how to define it? Um, I know Mobileye was one of the first to use Level 2 Plus, which <laughs> um, honestly, I was like, ah, Level 2 Plus, what does that mean? 
So was it around that time where you didn't have a way to describe your your own systems that you started thinking about changing this? No, even, even though what, what I described is very simple, it really took time to kind of crystallize it. So uh, when, when we defined level two plus, we really wanted to say it's a, uh, a full ODD. It can drive, uh, you know, everywhere. Uh, the driver is alert, so it's an eyes-on uh, eyes uh, system. But it's plus because it's a hands-off system. So it's eyes-on, hands-off. Um, but there was, no, there was no kind of a taxonomy to describe this. There was only level two where, you know, the driver is responsible. But the driver can be responsible in you know, a very simple um, driving assist systems, like when there's an AEB, just emergency braking, or it can be responsible in a very sophisticated system like the Tesla FSD. Both are considered level two. Uh, this is why we, we came up gradually to this, you know, crystallization of the definitions of the axis of eyes on, eyes off, hands on, hands off, driver, no driver, and what is the MRM. And it, it really simplifies and, and clarifies what it means to drive autonomously. Ed, do you want to go first? You go for it, Alex. Okay. So uh, in the minimum risk maneuver um, band, uh, the, your taxonomy states very clearly, driver monitoring system needed. So just a few days ago, uh, Mobileye announced a partnership with uh, Seeing Machines. And it, it's very clear from having driven virtually every system on the market with any type of DMS that the implementation of DMS quality varies greatly. And obviously, Mobileye does not want to be associated with implementations that have been suboptimal. And we all know what happened with Tesla years ago. So what is um, how tightly does Mobileye intend to um, advise or boundary or um, the actual DMS implementation to guarantee that it's done optimally? Because if a DMS is um, inaccurate in measuring the driver's cognition, then the outputs might be not good. That, that's true. This is why we are working with with the, uh, the leading supplier, uh, seeing machines, of uh, DMS systems. But it, it's naturally something that requires engagement with the car maker. Uh, this is this is a, a, a kind of a, a talk that needs to be done with the car maker because the the, the OEM really uh, sets the requirements, and we need to make sure that those requirements are effective in making sure that the driver is attentive. Uh, we believe that eventually this would be regulated. It will be part of the the, the NCAP uh, ratings or even uh, mandated for hands-off uh, system. Because uh, uh, otherwise you don't really get the synergetic effect between the human and the machine. If the human is not alert, then it actually can be unsafe uh, to have uh, such a system. Is Mobileye exclusive uh, to seeing machines for implementation of this taxonomy and safety systems? Uh, no, it, it, it's, it's not exclusive. We have, uh, we have other engagements with other companies, and uh, we are actually also uh, developing a DMS uh, for ourselves that should make, just to make sure that we have, that, that you know, we, we, we control all the details. Until you really develop things yourselves, you, you you know, you're not sure that you have, uh, you know, oversight of all the details. Alex um, jumped on something that actually, if you pull back a little bit, I've always had an issue with with SAE levels, um, or even like even potentially this, which is it describes what the functions are, but there isn't any way so far. I mean, Consumer Reports is starting to, I think, I, IHS is, but how to evaluate the system? So. 
um, you might have two different OEMs and that functionally, you know, the features are, let's say, um, uh, eyes on, hands off, but one might be much better than the other. So how do you see that? Do you think that it'll evolve into just regulation and that there will be agencies like um, consumer or organizations like Consumer Reports that just simply rate it and then it's up to the consumer? Or is there some other way to help consumers pick or determine, you know, what system or what vehicle to get based on how well it performs those functions? I think it's unlikely that the regulator would, would, would take a stand there. A regular, regulator will take a stand on, on, the, on the driving monitoring system just to make sure that the driver is alert. And, and the reason that I, I speculate that, because when, when you look at driving assist, you know, the basic driving assist where you have an AEB function, emergency uh, braking, what the regulator uh, sets are standards for uh, testing the system in a test truck. So you're basically, you're basically testing the miss rate of the system. Miss, miss rate meaning that the system should activate the brakes, but it does not activate the brakes for, for whatever reasons. And, and, and those testing are done um, to, kind of to measure statistically you have to succeed 80% of the time, 90% of the time uh, in, in doing the emergency braking in a test, uh, in a test truck. The, the regulator does not, does not measure the false rate. Because fault rate requires statistics. You cannot do this in a, in a uh, test track. So it's much more trickier to, uh, to measure. And it leaves that to the car makers. So, uh, and, and it makes sense because the car maker does not want to introduce a crappy system. You know, that every few minutes will do a false braking and will create an uncomfortable feeling to, uh, to the driver. Actually, it's very scary. You're driving all of a sudden, the car breaks <laughs> autonomously. That sounds like any the reason. car that I drive. Hey, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, it's, it's kind of not safe because somebody else can, can hit you from behind, even though it will be his or her fault. Uh, they, they should keep a safe distance. So uh, it leaves that to the car maker, because the car maker wants to make sure, especially the reputable car makers, uh, that they have a, 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 a good uh, system. So uh, Mobileye of, over the years has, you know, has optimized the false rate of the system. So miss rate is very, very low, and, and you pass the tests on, on test track, uh, but you measure the false rate over statistics over thousands of tens of thousands of hours of uh, driving, and this is done together with the car maker for every production program. So this is with a basic driving assist. When you're talking about eyes on, hands off, with a full ODD, can drive on highways and arterial roads and local roads, urban. It becomes, you know, very tricky to start, uh, you know, creating uh, KPIs. Uh, actually, in China, uh, you know, there are a number of cars now with uh, such capabilities. It's not only Zeker by by Mobili, There's Xpeng. There's Neo, uh, with full uh, surround creating. Um, uh, you know, Tesla, FSD, uh, of course. And, and you see agencies, you know, just like a consumer report, agencies doing all sorts of tests, you know, very, very innovative tests. Uh, because there, there, there is no limit to what kind of tests you can do when you're talking about this kind of full ODD experience. Highways, arterial, local, uh, you know, unprotected turns, uh, you know, a traffic light, do you stop at a traffic light? You know, uh, hands-free when you're crossing a, a junction, when there are no lane marks on the road, that there are so many things that you can start measuring. And, and you see those agencies doing all those uh, tests and, and publishing them. 
So eventually consumers will be educated, you know, which system is better than other systems. And I think the regulator would regulate the DMS, making sure that, you know, if you do hands off, you must be alert. So, so one of the the issues around around this, right? Uh, one of the things that we talk about a bit on this show, and and that I think is a real challenge to to sort of moving forward on these these uh, educational issues, is that you know, and again, there's no way to talk about this without naming a specific con- company, but like there's a company out there that is saying that their level two system, right? Like they're publishing safety statistics, and and like. You know, to me, this is one of those things where, you know, I think for for humans, I think, you know, what we've seen for the last few years is that people thought, and this is what I love about your taxonomy, people saw hands off and they assume, well, if my hands are off, then it's driving itself. And that, that was clearly a misunderstanding. But building on that, then you say sort of, okay, well, it's, it's hands off. And then, you know, here are these safety statistics that are, by the way, totally uncontrolled for operational design domain, right? And 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 UK use case and are, and are deeply misleading. And we're starting to to get like real academic work breaking this down and 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 revealing that that these these statistics are are, are misleading. But but this presents a problem, like you say, because right, like in order to give good KPIs, you kind of have to break performance down to ODDs, don't you? I mean, you can't just sort of say like, here's, you know, however many million miles our, our vehicle is driven, you know, we're not going to say what percentage of them were in what ODDs. Here's another number that we're comparing it to, which is all humans, you know, over the same period of time or the same miles, right? Like these comparisons, unless you're breaking them into ODDs, they don't actually tell you whether or not these systems are providing a safety benefit. So there's a lot of of debate around this issue. And to me, like whether or not these systems provide a safety benefit is, is like one of the most important things to, 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 that consumers need to know here. So, so like, how does, how, how are you moving towards that? How is this taxonomy part of, of moving towards that piece of this? Cause I know this is, is all kind of <laughs> a bunch of things coming together here. Right. So, so when we talk about ODDs, uh, in an eyes on system, you know, we develop it such that it's a full ODD capability. And the reason that we do a full ODD, because we want to prepare for an eyes-off system. So the way the, the way we look at an eyes-off system, and by, by the way, the value proposition of an eyes-on and eyes-off are very different. Uh, in an eyes-on system, if you have a proper DMS, you increase safety because if you have a good synergetic relationship between the human and, and the machine. In an eyes-off system, the value proposition is buying back your time. Because you are allowed to do something else, you are allowed not to drive, and and you can spend your time doing something else. So it's a different value proposition. Of course, it must be safe, because you are telling the driver you know, you are, you are no longer responsible in that section of the road, and in that ODD, you are not uh, responsible. Uh, so when you have an eyes off system, you can start thinking of ODDs, and and gradually increasing them until you have a, a full spectrum of autonomous driving. And, and, and those can start with highway. We believe that the first useful one is highway with on and off ramp. It means that once you activate the system, it doesn't go out of the ODD until you really, really reach the edge of the driving experience and you go into arterial and urban and urban roads. Anything else, uh, say only highways without on and off ramp, 
the driver would need to get back to control. Otherwise, it will miss the, the, the exit, um, the highway uh, exit. And if it's a, a low speed, for example, up to 40 miles per hour, uh, then, you know, you go in and out of ODD when, you know, the lead car is above 40 miles per hour, then you need to take control. It, it's, it's, not, it's not that useful. So we believe that the first useful ODD is highways with on and off ramp. And, and this could cover 90% of your driving experience. Say you're driving from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Once you go to Highway 1, you can activate the system. And for the, for the next four hours of driving, you can be uh, uh, hands-off hands off and eyes-off uh, uh, driving. The next ODD level is arterial roads, where you have uh, traffic lights, uh, straight-through junctions, or, or signaled road where you can take turns. And then the final one is urban, where you have unprotected turns, uh, roundabouts, and, and, and so forth. So the way we, we see this is gradual. Start with a highway ODD, add to it arterial ODD, and add to it uh, urban uh, ODD. Uh, and then with the eyes-on system, we do everything. Because the driver is responsible, the driver is, is, is alert, uh, we build an eyes-on system that has the full ODD, and that allows us to go to eyes off gradually by just adding more and more redundant sensors. So in an eyes on system, we, we rely only on cameras and a front facing radar. Um, and then adding redundant active sensors to uh, reach the eyes off systems in, in, in increasing uh, ODDs. So for example, if you take the camera system with the front facing radar and add the front facing radar uh, with four corner radars, you can uh, you can support a highway ODD. Replace them with imaging radars. You can go start going to arterial and, and urban roads. So depending on the type of of your uh, active sensors, you can create redundancies that increases the uh, the ODD. So in an eyes off system, you, we call these autonomous blades. It's not just one type of autonomous driving. It depends on the ODD and also the sensor set also uh, is, is required to support that particular uh, ODD. Uh, but if in the eyes-on system you cover everything only with the camera system, then what you need is only incremental uh, development of adding uh, um, active sensors for, uh, for redundancy. There's a lot there. <laughs> but, I, 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 um, but I wanted to talk specifically about the the hands off eyes off scenario that you talked about in, on the highway and i thought it was interesting that it seemed there's always been this kind of controversy or debate about that handoff system and and you you noted that you know it 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 doesn't necessarily work if it's a speed limit um issue or you don't want the driver to miss their exit so in your view then the best handoff situation it sounds like is during the exit or is it when the exit is complete and it's at that stop sign or that traffic light because as you know in some freeway systems you take the exit and then it splits right um and you're you're maybe it one goes north and one goes south to the various you know boulevard um how when does that handoff happen during that um, off-ramp situation that you described? So, you know, off-ramp can go to another highway, say from Highway 1 to Highway 280. Both of them are freeways and are part of the, are part of the ODD. 
there's another off-ramp which goes into an, into an arterial road in which is outside of the ODD. So it takes the, the off-ramp and then would you know stop on the shoulder of, of the road unless the driver take, uh, takes control. So the, there's a definition of what is you know the, the operational design domain. In this case, it's freeways. And as long as you are on freeways, even if you go from freeway to freeway, as long as you are in freeways, uh, the car would, would navigate. It knows the destination, of course. It will navigate from highway to highway, from freeway to freeway, until, until, the, until the navigation, until the route um, you know, navigates the car outside of the ODD, and then the car would stop on the shoulder of the road unless the, the driver takes, uh, takes control. But, you know, but in an, yeah, go, go ahead. So, sorry. Um, what's the best way that you, in your view, to communicate that? that approach to the arterial road, for example, you don't want a bunch of vehicles constantly pulling over. You want to communicate it so the driver is very aware and you would assume that they would be aware as they are exiting yeah. off of an off-ramp that they'd suddenly be aware. But what's the best, most effective and safest way to communicate to the driver that it's time to start putting eyes on um, and probably hands-on um, as they move into this new ODD? I think the car would communicate to the to the driver, say many seconds or minutes uh, before the ODD is ending, because again the car has has a route. It's going from it's navigate on pilot uh, minutes before. Um, in not, typically, the driver is awake. The driver will take control, uh, but in case the driver you know is simply unresponsive then the car would stop on the shoulder of the road. So the, the stopping on the shoulder of the road, this MRM, is not a typical case. It is the case when the driver is not responsive, either went to sleep or simply not responsive. Um, the typical case is the driver is responsive, and then a few minutes before the LDD is ending, the, the car would verbally you know, explain to, to the driver, now it's time, you know, a few minutes uh, in the next uh, off-ramp, um, you know, the, the eyes off is ending and you should move into an eyes on and take control. Uh, question, you know, between um, in the past, you've talked about the mobilized, um, I guess, behavioral safety model for uh, what is you know, safe vehicle behavior. Yeah, we call that RSS. So are you going to develop an RSS for interior cabin sensing and transition monitoring and management? So because it, it clearly, if you're going to design your own DMS, then you're going to have a, a your own best practices and your own models for what constitutes the correct advanced notification of a driver for takeover, and and so have is that in the pipeline? It is in the pipeline, but it it, it requires you know, significant intimate engagement with, with, with the car maker because at the end of the day, it is the car maker that sets those uh, requirements. Uh, we're developing these technologies ourselves in order to give good recommendations to our customers. But at the end of the day, it is the car maker who decides about the the way the system engages with the uh, with the driver. Uh, the DMS system gives you know the raw the raw data to the decision making apparatus here. Um, you know what what is the position of the head? What is the the position? The, the eye gazing uh, angle and, and other other kind of AI-related uh, 
you know, uh, detections of whether the, the driver is alert, not alert, what the driver is doing, is the driver, you know, holding his, his smartphone, not holding his smartphone, that there's lots of data that can be provided to this kind of decision-making um, decision making process of whether the driver is alert or not, or not alert. Ed? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, on the you know the eyes off, as I said, it's it's a really helpful way to move past this confusion about about what hands off really means. Um, and I, you know, when I was at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education, we had to like I had to write a whole blog post like explaining hands off does not mean autonomous; it just means you can take you know. And and it was a lot longer and more complicated, and fewer people read yeah. it than probably this this rubric, which is a really simple way of of, of cutting through some of that. And there's a couple of other ways to do that as well. And I think I'm I'm really curious. How you think about about one of them, which is the the question of sort of legal responsibility or legal liability, right? Because I think um, you know one of the ways that you know I sort of think of of sort of the problems in the current market um, that I think has developed, you know, really in in response to autopilot is that you know, again, there you're sort of telling people like this is this is automated and you're sort of inducing people to really trust it um and then and then ultimately people are getting stuck with the legal responsibilities when when bad things happen and so to, in, to some extent you know one of the the razors from a consumer perspective is when this when this system is active you know either the automaker or the system developer or someone will be taking some form of legal responsibility for its actions whereas with other systems that's never the case. There's no possibility that the manufacturer will ever. How do you think about that, especially again, because you're having to work with you know your partners in the auto industry on this? Is this also something that you feel the responsibility is with the automaker because of implementation? Is this something that you partner with the automaker on, or or how do you just sort of think about the legal liability aspect of it of, of this and where in your in your rubric, you know that sort of starts to kick in, or people or consumers can expect it to 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 start yeah. to associate. I I think that the, the new legal frontier. Now, kicks in when you're talking about eyes off, because when it's an eyes off system, you are telling the driver you are not responsible for driving any, anymore. So someone else is responsible. And who is that someone else? So it, it depends on, on who, who's building the system. If the supplier is building an end-to-end -end system, so it's responsible for the perception, it's responsible for the driving uh, policy, it's responsible for the control, uh, kind of an end-to-end -end system, then that supplier is responsible at the end of the day. If it's a joint between a kind of a, not joint development, but kind of a split between the supplier and the car maker, say, for example, the supplier is, is, is providing only the perception system and the car maker is, is, you know, is responsible for the driving policy and the control of the vehicle. So then depend, depends on what was the root cause of the accident. The root cause of the accident was the failure of the perception system or, or failure of the driving policy, making a wrong decision, uh, a, a, a bad merge into traffic. So it, so it depends what, what's the root cause of, of, of the accident. But in any case, it is the supplier slash OEM that is uh, responsible and not the driver. So it means that you, know, you need to validate these systems. It's not only you need to meet regulatory approvals to, to have an eyes off a system, if you want to create a sustainable business, you need to make sure that the, the probability of a failure is way, way below the human statistics of uh, failures. Otherwise, you'll find yourself, you know, compensating, you know, every, every hour you'll be compensating someone on, <laughs> on a failure of the system. What's the reception been from the OEMs that you work with and then those 
um, that you don't? Uh, what's been the industry reaction to this taxonomy plan? I, I think that the reaction was 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 you know very very strong. Even at the CES, you know, we had the, the, you know many meetings with with our customers with with OEMs and tier ones, and the first thing that they said, thank you for for you know putting on the table such the, such a taxonomy. Uh, we knew that these these levels, SAE levels, even though from an engineering point of view they make sense, from a consumer point of view, it's very difficult to communicate uh, what exactly it means uh, to drive uh, autonomously. Um, there is now a very strong acceptance. Uh, regardless of this taxonomy, for going forward with eyes-off system, starting with an eyes-on with a full ODD, and then incrementally going into an eyes-off uh, system. And we see the 2025-2026 uh, timeframe as really a sweet spot with our engagement with uh, with car makers. And the ODD is focused on highway on and off-ramp. The, the, this, this is really a, also a sweet spot of ODD because it covers 90% of your driving experience. In the uh, chart, you refer to teleoperations for a robo-taxi. You, you guys have been running tests in a few cities. Um, are you going to be building out your own teleoperation, like call centers or t- center technology that is going to be offered to OEMs who want to deploy mobile technology for robo-taxi? Or are you going to just hand off to them the responsibility of developing that? So so our, our view of robo-taxi kind of nuanced over the past two, three years. So uh, three years ago, we, we, we had in our mind to build an end-to-end robotaxi. So it's not only the, the self-driving system, but also integrating into, uh, into a vehicle uh, with a kind of a, a joint uh, cooperation with a, with a platform a maker, um, taking uh, control of a, of a fleet, uh, optimizing, uh, optimizing a fleet, customer-facing teleoperation, and in the past uh, year and a half, we kind of reduced our appetite to to something that that makes more sense, uh, more 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 sense to us. The position that that we we are optimizing is providing the self driving system, and we build two types of uh, partnerships: partnerships with platform providers. So uh, we have uh, three big partnerships. Two we named. Uh, one was uh, Schaeffler. The other one is in Holon. It's a uh, um, a new type of uh, a autonomous uh, shuttle, um, and the third one with a, a major platform, a provider, um, a global uh, provider, and we're talking about many tens of thousands of vehicles starting from 2025 and 2023. You know, hundreds of uh, vehicles with a safety driver to start building, ramping up towards 2025 with all the certification and uh, homologation. And we, the other type of uh, partnerships is with the demand, you know, with companies like uh, Beep, uh, like with the Sixth, uh, where we have a few hundreds of our own vehicles based on a Neo platform, um, and and we, we we do these POCs with them starting uh, this year in order to to build the demand that starting from 2025 with those tens of thousands of vehicles with the platform providers, we can match the demand, the demand with, with the platform providers. So to answer your questions, we will not be responsible for the teleoperation, we'll, not be, we'll be providing the technological substrate for it, uh, but, not, but not the back office with the people doing the, tele, the, uh, the teleoperation. Those would be done through those uh, platform providers and the 
and the uh, transport uh, operating uh, uh, you know uh, companies um, like uh, bus operators and so forth who will do who want to do it it's in their uh, kind of a skill set of managing uh, fleets and they'll also manage the the back office the tele the, the teleoperation we want to focus only on supplying the self-driving system we believe it is it is a huge challenge, especially the validation, and this is where we want to focus on, and not the full end-to-end uh, system. I mean, I, I'd kind of like to, you know, you you mentioned earlier, um, you know, sort of how how, you know, you you all have been have been learning, you know, throughout this whole process, and you know, um, getting to to be behind the scenes at, at Pave and look at some of the industry conversations around some of these topics. You know, I think everyone in this space, and certainly us, you know, who are watching it and trying to follow along have been learning a, a lot, but, you know, you've been, you've also been in this space for a lot longer than a lot of other people. Um, I mean, and again, I, there probably are some people who are listening to the show who, who aren't aware of sort of how deep your history is with this, this technology. Um, and I was just kind of curious, you know, if you just had any thoughts about sort of, you know, obviously the, the whole sector and, and public perceptions of this technology have been a roller coaster, you know, recently, but, but for you know a lot of the last few years, and and I'm just curious if you have any sort of broad reflections about this about this this journey with this technology and and sort of the process of learning along the way that that you think um, you know listeners to the show might might be interested in or benefit from. Well, I, I think first of all, when thinking about the technology, you really need to split this into two different domains. One is the robo taxis, and the other one is consumer cars that are different because in a robo taxi uh, you can be geofenced. You can say I'm serving a, a neighborhood, I'm serving a city. It, it's kind of a polygon in which uh, you, um, you serve in that uh, polygon. And a consumer car needs to drive everywhere. Therefore, you can you can define ODDs, say only highways plus highways plus arterials, and, and then, then but it has to be everywhere. You cannot say I'm I'm offering a service only in San Francisco. So it's kind of a different mindset, uh, and and you know it's a different type of uh, of development. And, and, and both these types of uh, systems are, are moving forward. So when you look at the robotaxis, you have Waymo, you have Cruise, uh, you know, Mo- Mobilize active in that, uh, in that space uh, as well. And I think the problem there is no longer technological. I think the problem there is how to build a viable business out of it. Right? Uh, you know, are you charging per mile? Are you doing this end-to-end? You know, including the customer. Are you becoming an Uber without a driver, right? A ride-hailing a company without a driver. Uh, what? What? You know, how, how do you how do you protect against vandalism? You know, you have this car driving without without anyone there. You know, it it, it cannot defend itself, so it cannot run over anyone. Uh, so you simply stand on the street, the car would stop, and you go and you know take out the sensor. So how how, how do you? There are all sorts of issues that that you need to think about. When you think about building a viable a viable business, and and I believe there is a way to build a viable business, but the ramp up would be, would, would take years. It's not you know tomorrow you are going to see 400 cities uh, supporting a, a robot taxi uh, deployment. It will take its time, but I believe that eventually it will reach its goal, reach its goal in which you know mobility as a service would be done through autonomous uh, cars. And uh, we would not need human drivers to do this kind of uh, mundane job of uh, taxing people from point A to point uh, to point B in, in in a mega city. But it will take time until it, it ramps up. 
And then the, the, the second domain of consumer cars, here you are not driving from point A to point B everywhere in a city, but you have an ODD that is everywhere. And a few years ago, that domain did not exist. Today, we see that it's kind of, it, 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 it's forming uh, with production programs starting from uh, 2025, 2026, with a, a number of uh, car makers, and it's growing. So it is, the technology is, is right to start thinking about a consumer consumer car. And, and there, how do you go and validate the system to what level of validation is also uh, tricky. So what we see kind of a consensus among uh, car makers when you're thinking about a highway system in a highway ODD, the requirements is 10 million hours of, uh, of driving between failures. So this is, in, if you think about fatalities, it's about five times better than a human in terms of fatalities and about 500 times better than a human in terms of crash uh, statistics. And, and, and we see that more and more with, with car makers. This 10 to the power of seven hours of driving. And then, then you ask yourself, how do you go and validate this? Do you go and how do you collect 10, 10 million hours of uh, driving to, uh, to validate? And this is something, again, that I explained at my presentation at the CS. What is our val validation uh, methodology in order to uh, reach that goal of 10 to the power of seven hours of, uh, of driving in, a, in a, this consumer highway ODD. And it, it, it is achievable, but it needs to be done in a, in a very kind of uh, a structured, structured way. I would assume that that would include, that would be like the entire ODD, not that validation process. You wouldn't be looking at in in tranches or you know specific ODDs it would be across all driving correct no it will be per per ODD because if you're talking about highways you know th 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 this this is, this is a big domain just highways um and uh, so you need to provide 10 to the power of 7 hours of driving on highways so uh, how do you collect this amount of uh, of data what, did you send a car and you drive 10 to the power of 7 hours around the block uh, it, it also re requires thinking of how to do that, how to design the system that at least for yourself internally, you are certain that you'll meet those 10 to the power of seven hours of driver before you go and prove to the world that you, that, that you can meet 10 to the power of uh, seven. Uh, so one way to do this is first design the system in a way that you can convince to yourself and convince to the car maker that you will meet the 10 to the power of seven hours of driving. And then second, start with an eyes-on system. So the, the system is capable for eyes-off, but say in the first year of deployment, it's only eyes-on. And in that way, if you have tens of thousands of vehicles deployed with an eyes-on capability, um, you can collect the data just to prove to the regulator that you can meet at the 10 to the power of uh, seven. So with 100,000 vehicles, say you drive four hours per week with the hands-off, eyes-on, uh, after six months, you can collect to the 10 to the power of seven hours of uh, driving and then prove to the public that you meet that, that validation quality and then you can activate the eyes-off. Well, do you not already have m more than that amount of data from all the vehicles in the world who are <laughs> deployed with mobile technology? 
Now, we have today 400 petabytes of, uh, of video uh, data, but this is video data to, um, to validate the perception system. Here, you need to validate really the end-to-end because there's also a driving policy concern, there is control. You need really to provide an end-to-end. What is the probability of a failure? And you want to show that the probability of a failure is at least 10 to the power of seven hours of driving. So you need to collect that data. And it's very difficult to collect that data with a fleet of 1,000 vehicles. It will take a long, long time. Uh, the fact that you can start deploying this with an eyes-on capability at first, which is very useful. Right? So again, you have a DMS system, an eyes-on, eyes, hands-off is a very useful uh, system. So first half a year, first year, it's not activated. And then afterwards, you collected the data, you can start activating it. But it will work only if you convince yourself and the car maker that after a year, you'll be able to activate it. Otherwise, it's a never-ending story. Right, you collect data, you, you improve, you collect data, you improve, and, and, and you'll never activate an eyes-off uh, system. So there's one car maker that can pull it off with its customers, but most car makers you know, cannot do that, cannot you know, sell an eyes-off system, uh, but have it an eyes-on for indefinite amount of time. A, and, uh, well, you, you know, a you know who it is. It's a car maker. It's a car maker. Yeah. It's a car maker. A very good car maker. <laughs> some some say. You 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 mentioned early. You, you you talked about about building a sustainable business here uh, in this technology space, and I think that's something that that I mean. A obviously, I think you know a lot of companies are learning. How, you know, it's really important, as you say, like making the business part of this work is is as much a challenge as the technology it, itself. But I think this question of of a sustainable business and what and, and an unsustainable business in this technology. What do those look like? What does an unsustainable business in this technology look like? What makes a business an approach? Like well, we no, I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking Dr. Shashua for his view of, of this. I know what you think. I know what I think. I'm, I'm curious his thoughts. What What does an unsustainable business look like? What makes an approach to this business sustainable and unsustainable? Well, I think the way we built it in a sustainable way. So sustainable means that you make a profit. Otherwise, you're, you're hemorrhaging money all the time. Um, the fact that, that we look at autonomous driving as a spectrum, starting from driving assist and, and going up to autonomous driving. So you start making money from driving assist and, and gradually moving your way up to autonomous uh, driving. And as I said, an eyes-on, hands-off is a significant piece of machinery that creates significant uh, revenue. So we have an eyes-on, eyes, hands-off in China, and it's uh, coming out also in Europe and, and U.S. starting from 2024 uh, forward. Just in, in 2022, it, it generated uh, a significant amount of, uh, you know, I don't remember the number, but more than $50 million, just that particular one vehicle, one brand. Um, the, 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 these systems are, are very meaningful in terms of their revenue generation. And you have also the driving assist. You know, in, in 2022, it was 30, I think 34 million new cars on the road with our driving assist technology uh, with a total revenue of about $1.8 billion, $8 billion with, you know, free cash flow of 500 or $600 million. So, when you think of this as one as a spectrum from driving assist to autonomous uh, driving, you can start creating a, a sustainable business. If you are focusing only on one one node, 
which is the no driver, the robo taxi, you're taking a much bigger risk because until it will generate uh, revenue, you're talking about many, many years of, of, of investment, and this becomes risky. When it's combined together with, with driving assist, you can create a sustainable uh, business and gradually build your way up to the robo taxi and to the consumer to the consumer AV. Do you think there's Do you think there's risks on the driver uh, on the consumer car side? Sorry, Kirsten. Like I, in the sense that you know, is it possible? I, I was describing earlier, sort of you know, situation where you know people are being induced to overtrust these systems and they're being stuck with the consequences. As we know, fundamentally, this technology depends on trust. Is it possible that that you know uh, people can sell you know companies can sell products that people think they want that are appealing to people, but that actually are themselves unsustainable, that that that, that risk that people will overtrust something, be stuck with the consequences, and then that will sort of erode over time the public's trust in this technology overall, not just in one company, but in, in all of the companies. Is that, a, is that a risk to the sustainability of this business as well? Well, it depends. I think what you are referring is to an eyes-on system. So, Because in an eyes-off, you validate it to be much, much better than human statistics of driving and, and you get certification from, from, from regulator to, to, to allow this. Uh, in an eyes-on system, the driver is responsible. And then comes this issue, if you have a system that has a mean time between failure of, say, 100 hours, this is an incredible system, but once every 100 hours it will, it will fail, and the driver may overly rely on the system because for the driver, 100 hours of driving is a huge amount of time. And, and this is where things can go wrong. And this is why you need a DMS. This is why you need a very good kind of human machine. So, so the human is supervising the machine because once every 100 hours, it will fail. So the human is supervising the machine and there should be a way to make sure that the human is supervising the machine. This is the DMS. I think without a good DMS system, it is difficult to make the case for this hands-on, eyes-off uh, relationship. And then to clarify, that's where you see um, regulations coming in. Because you had mentioned when you were uh, back a few minutes ago when you were talking about validation, you mentioned regulators. And I was wondering if that was just about the DMS system or the system itself or and when you mean when you're talking about regulators, are is that at a federal level or a state level? So, when in an eyes-on system, what I believe regulators would regulate the DMS. Okay. Um, in an eyes-off system, the regulators need to certify the fact that the car can drive autonomously on the road, and there are. There are rules in Germany that there is kind of a structured way to get a certification. It's it's also uh, EU uh, um, would also uh, adopt the, the kind of more or less the the, the German uh, regulation in Israel. There's such a regulation in the US. It's simply state by state. At some point, it will be I believe it will be federal, uh, but right now it's uh, state by state. Right. Um, as we wrap up this. Um this recording, this podcast, I was wondering if you could go back in time a little bit and, you know, go back to when mobile, I was actually working with Tesla 2015, um, ish. And over the last eight years, just kind of thinking through how the industry has evolved, not just that company, but all other OEMs, as well as companies that have been pursuing, um, what we now call, uh, full autonomy or, you know, usually applied via robotaxis. 
Has there was there a development or something that occurred during that eight years that really took you off guard? Um, that was surprising to you, just the way either the speed that it developed or that that the industry missed. I, th- I think what what changed in kind of the 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 way the industry is thinking about this is that seven years ago, car makers were really concerned that you know they'll wake up one day and nobody will buy cars. So all this idea of robotaxi you now resonated in a very strong way with car makers. Today, car makers are less concerned about that. You know, they, they come and say, what kind of value can I bring to my, to my customer? And then eyes off, as I said, it's, it's a big value of, of you know, buying back your time. Uh, and then they can do it by, by stage by stage. You don't need to go to the full you know, robotaxi uh, experience in order to provide uh, the value from a car maker's point of view, in order to provide the value in the car. And then the robotaxi is becoming a domain where it's not necessarily car makers need to play a role there. You know, there are platform uh, builders and there are technology uh, uh, providers and then there's the regulator. And it's a new business. It's a business of uh, ride hailing without... Uh, Without a driver, it, it's it's not necessarily a business where car makers need to need, need to play a role there, uh, and and this is the big change in the mindset that happened in the last uh, seven years. I don't think that there was a technological aha moment uh, in in the past uh, seven years. It is really the mindset that it is not that disruptive to the car makers as they thought seven years ago. Is that evolution surprising to you that that they finally came around, or did you expect that all along? Um, you know, back seven eight years ago. No, we we expected that, and we always said that, that, that there are two industries. One is the robot taxi; the other one is the consumer AV. And we said we 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 don't know how the future will play out, either that or that. This is why Mobileye always did both. Always, you know, developed the technology to uh, be relevant for a consumer car and at the same time be relevant for a, a, a robotaxi. And in the past year or two, the consumer AV started to, uh, started to become alive. There, there's now interest from car makers uh, to, uh, to go, through that, uh, to, to go through, through that route. And now we have those two industries, both the car, both the robotaxi and the, the consumer AV. And the consumer AV is natural naturally where the, the car makers can uh, can play a big role, not necessarily the robotaxi. So last question then, since we just reflected on the past, of course, we now have to ask you a question about what's to come, um, not just specifically for Mobileye, but really how you expect um, the industry itself, the direction it's going to move, and, and maybe, maybe a surprising takeaway or so that, or, or forecast that, might, you know, that some others might think is too, you know, audacious or too forward thinking. What what do you see happening, um, especially on the automotive industry, the OEM level um, in the next five years? Do you see them continuing to lean in heavily and invest in heavily on ADAS as this promise of you know, profit making, or is it going to shift again? I, I, we see clearly in the next uh, five years or until the end of this uh, decade, eyes on, hands off system, kind of think of a Tesla FSD type of uh, capability with a good DMS, eyes on, uh, hands off uh, system, we see very, very big traction. 
once we started with the you know, deploying with the Zeker, a brand of Geely in, in China, there are already 90,000 uh, vehicles already shipped. Uh, we started seeing lots of traction from Western uh, OEMs, um, additional OEMs from the Geely Group, but also outside of the Geely Group um, for uh, 2024, 2025, uh, 2026, and it's growing. I, I believe that by 2026, 2027, every car maker would have an eyes-on, hands-off, full ODD capability. And then when talking about eyes-off, we see this starting in 2026. And by the end of the decade, 10%, we believe 10% of all new cars uh, would have an eyes-off uh, capability, say say only highways, um, um, eyes-off uh, capability. Robotaxis, it's a, it's a ramping stage. It'll take years maybe until the end of the decade. Uh, it's not a technology, there's no technological issue there. It's just a ramping, making sure that it's a sustainable uh, business. And it will take until the end of the decade until it will become something uh, meaningful in terms of the volume. Uh, that this is what we, that, what we believe. Great. Well, unless Ed or Alex have some final thoughts, Pausing for them? No. Okay. No. Just um, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This is uh, it's been. Thank really, you. Thank wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. We had to have one more question. Wait. Hold on. I'm done. What do you drive yeah. every day? Okay. So I'm I'm more a motorcycle person. So I have a number of uh, motorcycles. I have a, a BMW M1000RR. Uh, it's kind of a super bike. I have also a Ducati Desert X. It's kind of a enduro, both road and uh, and uh, off road. I have a Ducati Diablo. I have an, uh, about five different motorcycles that I that I that I drive. And when it rains, I have um, a nine eleven Turbo S. So what, what, what I found year? out that what year? Uh the nine eleven Turbo S. It's twenty twenty one. I had I had a Panamera before that. What 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 I noticed that, that nobody in my family wants to drive with me, so I'm alone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so when we drive as a family, we drive with with my wife's car, and uh, she drives. So I told myself, if I'm alone, then why do I need a big car? So I, I really need a motorcycle with four wheels, and this is the 911 Turbo S. It's really a fun, fun car to drive. The, the real question right. is, we'll have, is if you have a if you have a wife who's willing to drive you, why do you need an autonomous car? <laughs> <laughs> My wife says that autonomous the autonomous industry is that to make sure that everyone drives like me. She hates my driving. That's actually a really good so way to put it. It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy that everyone drives like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, um, Dr. Joshua, thanks so much for joining thank you. Um, us today. And thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. Cast.